Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House, the Chillest State House podcast. Around, I am Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal's State House team, joined by my compadre Jason Tidd. Jason, how are you, sir? Pretty chill. <laughs> and really, it's a Friday afternoon, so why wouldn't we be? But I am sorry for you if you were listening to this on a Monday that it is not the end of the week anymore. Sad, sad face. But we are we are happy face because John Hanna of the Associated Press is here. Hey, Andrew. John. Hey, Jason. How are you? I am really chill. I, you know, I am chiller than a polar bear at the moment. We are as chill as is legally possible to be in the state of Kansas. Yes. We could be more chill, but... Then we'd have to live in Colorado. The, the medical marijuana bill did not pass. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do about my gla- glaucoma, but... <laughs> On that note, um, we last week talked elections... And really, that's going to be the 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 main story moving on uh, through the summer into August second, partisan primary, and then into November for the general election. And we got a little bit of a surprise today, uh, not today, this week, uh, when it was announced that maybe, and heavy emphasis on the maybe, there might be another candidate running for governor. Jason, Senator Dennis Pyle of Hiawatha. A uh, farmer up in northeast Kansas is running for governor as an independent. He was recently a Republican, a very conservative uh, Republican. Uh, he championed the effort by to to force a legislative post audit on the 2020 election which, of course, that audit likely won't be done until two election cycles after the election that they are auditing. But, um, yes, Dennis Pyle left the Republican Party to run as an independent if he gets the signatures. And, John, how many signatures does he need? Well, he needs 5,000 signatures, valid signatures from registered voters, which means he probably will need to collect somewhere between 7,000 and 8,000 signatures to cover any uh, problems with individual signatures. We don't want a Michigan GOP primary here. (laughs) Have someone's dog try and sign the petition or something? Um, Well, you know, if you're registered or not registered, that that usually is the issue if you're a, a qualified cousin visiting voter. from Nebraska. Yeah, that sort of thing. Well, and and this is significant, I think, for one big reason, and that's as Jason mentioned, Dennis Pyle, very conservative, although he is kind of the bet noir of the Senate Republican Caucus. Oh, throwing out the fancy terms <laughs> for those of us who don't speak French. Would you like to explain what that means? Yeah, he he is he's a big time thorn in the side of Senate leadership. We've discussed on the podcast infamously him calling Senate President Ty Masterson Gollum, Gollum from yes. Lord of the Rings after being stripped of most of his committees. Uh, over a, a tussle over the, the congressional map, uh, redistricting. Well, and, and what's interesting is, of course, uh, the Republicans are not waiting until he 
gets the signatures to criticize him, and they note that he wasn't on board with the Republican leadership maps. They're also noting that there has been at least one time when they were going to try to have the vote on the anti-abortion amendment to the state constitution, and he was not there. He said there were family issues that caused him to be away. Um, Kansans for Life was not happy. There's also the uh, interesting attack of calling him a fake conservative. Right, which, I mean, he is very conservative. I mean, I think there's no, there's no way around it. And, and that's why that's why Republicans are going on the attack, because if he does make it on the ballot, again, not a guarantee. We want to make that clear. Um, if he does make it on the ballot, you know, it's not quite certain yet how much support he will get, but whatever votes he does get will probably be pulled away from Derek Schmidt. Well, and that that seems the most likely scenario. The issue is, does, you know, there are two possibilities in, in terms of how he could hurt Derek Schmidt. The first one is, is that he just simply pulls votes away from the Republican nominee. The second one is that the, Derek Schmidt feels the need to go further and further to the right and that pushes a few mod- just enough moderate Republicans away into Laura Kelly's camp. I mean, you know, Democrats had a, a similar disaster scenario in 2018 when uh, Johnson County businessman Greg Orman was on the ballot as an independent candidate. Um, they worried that Orman would take just enough votes from Kelly that Chris Kobach, the Republican nominee, would win. Um, Republicans think that it was a wash, um, or at least, or maybe even hurt Kobach, especially in western Kansas. Well, and also, Orman wound up getting 6.5% of the vote. He was, in some polls, he was projected to get as much as 19% of the vote. And well, and there was there was pass. a sense at some point where he all the way through August he was campaigning very aggressively, and then his campaign appeared to slow down in the fall, and never really recaptured what momentum it had had earlier. Uh, Orman also was very very well known relatively because he'd run for the u.s senate in 2014 briefly became a national figure because he for a while it looked like he was running very close to pat roberts um roberts i think ended up winning in excess of 10 percentage points but orman got a lot of national attention and of course in 2014, you had this exceedingly weird situation where Democrats had a candidate who won the primary, and then basically Chad Taylor, who was the DA here in Shawnee County, Chad Taylor drops out. Some people contend he was pushed out, leaving only Orman and Roberts, and then the Democrats did not come up with a new candidate which they had the right to do and there was there was a legal battle over that whether they had to pick a new nominee and they eventually the courts said they really didn't that resulted in a law that basically uh to once once the candidate filing deadline passes 
to get off the ballot. You have to die. You have to literally have some kind of note from a doctor uh, saying you won't be able to serve, um, that sort of thing. Um, I suppose if you got abducted by aliens and disappeared, that also might qualify. If you get the aliens to sign a note. Yes, the aliens would have to. I don't know. Would they do like lights like they did in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Y'all are probably too young to remember that movie. Jason? I was more thinking to Lord of the Rings references and maybe the Eye of Sauron follows yes. you. Yeah, Eye of Sauron follows you or falls on you. Um, isn't it like it goes through a big stone thing on top of a tower or something? Yes. <laughs> I love that we've gone back to children in the Lord of the Rings. Yes. Um, it's something something to watch, though. And, and, I mean, neutral observers had said that if Schmidt were to face a challenge, either in the primary or the general election, it was likely to come from the right. Well, yes, because, you know, there's always, throughout Schmidt's career, there's always been this suspicion that he's not really that conservative, that he's a gasp, moderate gasp. Um, And I, I think... The uh, thought had been it would be a strong conservative, independently wealthy, like a Senator Mark Steffen or a oil businessman, Wink Hartman, uh, who could self-fund their campaign and get their name out there to voters. Right. Mm-hmm. The person who would primary Schmidt would basically be ostracized by the party, party establishment as all lined up behind him. So you would need someone who is able to fundraise without being able to you know rope in the 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 party the the thing the thing is about the the candidate the, the thing is about a candidate Derek Schmidt Jerry Moran to a lesser degree Pat Roberts is is they try to stay right of center even a little further right in how they vote what they do without alienating moderate republicans too much so it actually, in some ways, boils down to public affability, to having a calm demeanor and a friendly, being perceived as friendly and, and not not a bomb thrower. Um, you know, I mean, Roberts was known for his kind of occasionally wicked sense of humor that diffused a lot of tension within the Republican Party that might have been directed at him. You know, Jerry Moran has kind of this aw shucks, you know, country boy, I'm going to go out and and travel to all 105 counties vibe. And that's helped him a lot. Um, and of course, Schmidt, uh, is uh, how how would you describe Schmidt? I uh, uh, chatty uh, when you see him work a room, right? Um, very friendly, shaking hands, small talk. How do how do how do how do? I was getting to that. Couldn't be better. You couldn't be better. How you doing? How's the wife and kids? Oh me, I couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. Yeah. Um, he. Uh... Not not that politicians are typically fans of talking to the media, but I'd say that he tends to make a little bit more small talk than Laura Kelly does. 
or even a lot of the Republicans in the legislature. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, Affability yeah. goes a long way in Kansas politics. It does. Yes. Historically, it has. I mean, you, you had you. This state ha- has had in the last. 35, 40 years has had some really good retail politicians. Uh, Joan Finney, who was the first female governor of Kansas, was famous for having uh, a file of index cards with names and little details about people. So, you know, she'd go to a bean feed one year and then two years later she'd showed up, she'd show up at the same event and she'd run into somebody she'd seen before and she'd say, Hey, how's that daughter of yours doing? She's, she's at K state, right? What, you know, and people would be amazed. Bob Steffen, who was attorney general for 16 years, had the same kind of thing. He would show up at these these little county events and and work the room and talk to people and was really friendly and people like that. It, I think it'll be an interesting dynamic and and it, it may be a referendum on you know does retail politics still have that same kind of value in Kansas as it once did. I think I think Jerry Moran is proof that it does, but also you know times have changed. Some yes. Um, but Derek Schmidt does not have the same kind of lightning rod status yet anyway, that Chris Kobach has. Chris Kobach was known for taking very strong conservative stands on issues like immigration, for example, that was a big one. And that just alienated some moderate republicans well that was a perfect segue because we wanted to talk about the attorney general's race yes because drum roll please chris kobach is back i'm, he I'm back has he done the I, terminator he, voice? i don't know yes i i did hear that i don't know that he actually ever really left that's true because I mean, he, he ran for statewide office in 2018 lost for governor Ran for statewide office in 2020 in the U.S. Senate primary, lost to Roger Marshall. But he has been a fixture in every campaign cycle going back for well over a decade now. Yeah. And, I mean, he never, I mean, you know, he never lost really his national profile on immigration and and voting election issues. Um, Very identified with Donald Trump, was was the earliest prominent Kansas supporter of Donald Trump in 2016 was vice chairman of a, an election fraud uh, task force or commission commission that's the word I'm thinking of that Donald Trump uh, established so he has that tie he was involved in a, a private effort to build a wall on the border um, I mean I, I we could probably throw out the many and multiplicitous ways that Chris Kobach has gotten national attention or been identified with Donald Trump. He's very well known. So it's, it, it's not like he disappeared uh, into retirement. He did not. And being well known is probably a big reason why he is polling as the front runner in the Republican primary. Uh, the you two call him the front runner. Doc, you're yeah, the, the, some, the, some angry callers. The uh, two other people in the race are State Senator Kelly Warren and retired right pro- federal prosecutor Tony Mativi. Uh, and 
uh, both both of them don't quite have the same rec- name recognition that Chris Kobach does. Uh, and also thinking back to the affability, uh, Chris Kobach, at least when it would come to uh, the party base, is a relatively affable guy. Uh, I'd say more affable than Kelly Warren is. I have not had the pleasure of meeting Tony Mativi, but you've talked with him, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I, he he is a he's a good conversationist, and he's good, I think, about talking about what he did as a federal prosecutor. The issue is, you know, competing with the Kobach brand is difficult. And well, there's a big debate within the Republican Party about how big is Chris Kobach's core base. Is it, and and people are thinking of it in terms of raw numbers of Republican voters who will go out and cast their ballot for him no matter what office he runs for. Insurance commissioner run for Chris Kobach. Well, I'm sure he's planning on spending four years or eight years as attorney general, but the... Or two years until he makes a comeback in the next Trump administration. Well, if there is another Trump administration and he's the attorney general of Kansas, I'm sure there will be talk about whether he goes off and does a cabinet secretaryship or whatever. But, you know, that's we could spin out a lot of scenarios. But um, so there's this discussion. um, How big is his core base? Is it, you know, 100,000? And is it 125,000? You know, where does he start and do and just all kinds of speculation. But yes, he is. He benefits from being the best known candidate in a race that in many years, it it doesn't get that much attention. Well, and also in a three way primary, assuming it stays a three way primary, because there are some people who are calling on Tony Mativi to drop out, which he has shown no indication he'll do. Yeah, I mean, and. But if he dropped out now, could he get his name off the ballot? No, he couldn't. But, right. But uh, before, yes, before last week, there was some calls on that. And, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think in a three-way primary, you don't need your base to be all that big in order to win. Well, you you have to get, you know, thirty-three percent. Thirty-three percent. So you're probably talking a hundred and. 25,000 votes in a Republican primary, 125 to 150,000 out of 350 to 400,000, maybe. Um, Just back of the envelope math, governor election years tend to have lower turnout than Senate election years, so, and presidential election years, so. Um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting. The other interesting thing is we've got at least one other, actually two other Republican primaries for, um, statewide offices. Well, treasurer and secretary of state. That's true. But before we go to the Republicans, I think it's worth noting on the attorney general side, the Democrat waiting in the wings without a contested primary, Chris Mann, former prosecutor, former cop, uh, now in private practice. He uh, is a pretty good candidate, I think better than what Democrats have come up with in the past. And if he were to face off with Chris Kobach, he would, that, that, that race would, I think, be something Democrats would look at and say, hey, we can win this. Well, they certainly would. Um, the question is, what kind of year is it? If it is, as Republicans think it will be a red wave year, 
you know, I'm thinking of 2010, which was the mid first midterm of the Obama administration. The Tea Party was up and active and all over the place. And it was a massive Republican year. And Democrats, you know, this was the end of the Sebelius Parkinson administration. And they there were some vacancies in statewide office for various reasons. And so Democrats actually held all but the insurance commissioner's post, most of them by appointment. And they got swept out, all of them. And, for example, uh, the, the appointed treasurer was Dennis McKinney, who'd been a House minority leader. And, 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 you know, there was no real whiff of scandal. He was actually – he is actually a fairly populist conservative for a Democrat Democrat. Um, the office, by all appearances, was running very smoothly, but he was just not a Republican. And so out – he went um and you know kobach unseated a an appointed democrat as secretary of state so i mean yeah if it's that kind of election it's you could you could see the republicans sweeping all those offices again now of course and that's predicated on the idea that inflation is high, the economy isn't good. You know, people are paying now upwards of five dollars a gallon for gas. I I saw in a statement from the White House that uh, Biden is calling it uh, Putin's price hike. In other words, trying to blame this inflation, it appears, on the war, uh, the Russia's war in Ukraine. But, you know, we're, we've got this U.S. Supreme Court decision coming in a month, a month and a half, whenever uh, in that Mississippi abortion case where it could overturn Roe versus Wade. Does that get, you know, liberal voters, Democratic voters energized? You know, who knows? Well, on the economy, uh, Jason, I know you've been giving some thought to this. I what do you because i mean the, the republicans are clearly even in the governor's race trying to tie laura kelly to joe biden and some of the economic headwinds yeah yeah something that i'm working on is how the economy is going to play into the race i mean i think most observers would say that the economy is always a major player in a gubernatorial election uh it's the economy stupid right that that's well and, and what's it. interesting about that is while there are things that governors can do, uh, t- state taxes, attracting businesses, all of that stuff, and there's some stuff about state business regulations, the economy is, I think I, maybe, maybe it was Michael Lewis, the writer, who put it this way, or somebody else, but the economy is more complicated than the weather. So the idea that a single state governor can do something and stop inflation, um, I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not how the economy works. But the fact is, if you're in office when inflation is high or there's a recession, you get blamed, even though there's probably not a lot the forces are so big that they're hard to harness now with the economy now republicans are arguing that the ramping up of uh 
of spending by the federal government to combat COVID is part of what's fueling this. Uh, you know, the argument being that it created a lot of demand that the supply chain can't handle. I think a lot of Democrats and others would argue that a lot of what's happening is because of the war between the war in Ukraine. Yeah, uh, House Majority Leader Dan Hawkins, a Wichita Republican, I believe, put it as a, you know, this is Biden's fault in his mind for inflation. And Biden's not on the ballot in November, but some of his allies are. And he sees Kelly as a Biden ally, uh, which I'm sure Kelly would try to dispute. But she's a member of the same party. And uh, as Hawkins puts it, they want to make uh, Biden have fewer allies come November. Well, and look, if if we had a lot of really contested legislative primaries on the Republican side, conservatives would not stop with only tarring Democrats with Biden. I mean, there would be less conservative Republicans they would tie to Biden. I mean, there'd be pictures of a moderate Republican legislator with Joe Biden, you know, um, that they did some of that in 2012 with uh, GOP state Senate primaries tying moderate Republicans to Obama. And there's more than just inflation yeah. going on in the economy. There, There's a low unemployment rate in Kansas, record low. So that some could say that's a point on Kelly's side. But there's also a low job recovery rate compared with pre-pandemic employment. So Schmidt has pointed to those numbers. Uh, and then... You know, Kelly would also point to, you know, tax revenues are really high. We have a budget surplus that can support tax cuts. And you know what? If you're listening to this on Monday, it'll be the fourth time that Laura Kelly has held a ceremonial bill signing for the food sales tax cut that doesn't go into effect until next calendar year. Well, and, and you know, the question, there is a question about how much of the revenue surplus, and it is a huge revenue surplus. I mean, uh, in the I mean, in the five years since the bulk of the brownback tax cuts were repealed, the state has exceeded expectations in monthly tax collections all but three months. That's astonishing in terms of just a run, um, and uh, and it just. You know, so there's a discussion about how much of that is inflation, how much of that is, you know, a return to unbrown back tax policy, you know, what what is what is going on there. And you keep hearing a lot of little voices of caution saying it's going to slow down, it's going to slow down. If the economy goes into a recession, it's going to slow down. And those things tend to go in cycles anyway. But the, I mean, the 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 cash reserves the ending balance is projected to was projected before they did some of this tax cutting and siphoning to the rainy day fund. i mean it was going to be huge it's still going to be huge and economic development has also been a big piece of kelly's campaign strategy and her lieutenant governor and commerce secretary david tolan they they like to champion the commerce, the economic development projects that they do, and I guess we'll see what happens with Apex if we get some news. But later but this there month. are interesting questions I think amongst people in politics about how much of that really matters. 
Well, I think, and I think that's a good point. I mean, I mean, is this just a year that because Biden is president and inflation is high and Democrats have struggled to deliver on some of the promises he made is and it's Kansas. It's a a Republican leaning state and Republicans tend to unify a little more when there's a Democratic president, at least over the last 30 years. So is it just, you know, Republicans are in a mood to be unified. They have a candidate who is arguably objectionable to nobody. um, And okay. And And that's what matters. And no amount of pizza plants and Salina are going to be able to That's That's the question. That's the question that, you know, but we are looking at the ground conditions in early June. And which is. Keen listeners might know it is not when they hold the election. <laughs> right. I mean, as you know, November. So, you know. Thinking of economy, we can transition to the treasurer's race, which has even less to do with the economy than the governor does, but uh, they might still. You, you know, back it. in the day, there were discussions about why Kansas even elected a state treasurer. Um, you know, there were. There were attempts mid seventies through to early eighties to make it an appointed position that didn't go very. They and you can do that by law because the treasurer is not in the constitution. Um, but they know, you know, Joan Finney would get up and say, give speeches about they're trying to take away your right to vote, and it never went anywhere. But uh, I think the idea is that it's an independent fiscal check on the rest of the executive branch the more cynical out there would say the it's more an independent cyn- office that it basically exists to give its office holder free advertising for their own brand by giving people money from the uh, unclaimed property or, well or uh college one of, savings one of our colleagues program. used to joke that the most serious decision the state treasurer made every every day was whether to have a, a donut or a bear claw with the coffee <laughs> Um, I think that's probably overstating it, but yes, it is please direct by quite all, a bit. Lynn Rogers' campaign, please direct all angry letters to John Hanna of the Associated Press. I mean, that gives you some idea about how uh, low profile the office can be. I mean, the, the treasurer is on the state pension fund board. Uh, the treasurer does... Uh, oversee college savings program does and unclaimed property does return unclaimed property um but i think uh, and does kind of brought is part of the mechanism that oversees you know state investments and and but it's not so low profile that nobody would want it or that it's even the most low profile of the statewide elected offices because the current uh, treasurer Lynn Rogers, a Democrat, left the Kelly ticket as lieutenant governor to become treasurer. Well, and and, and you remember when we had in in February 2021 when we had that hard hard freeze and energy prices spiked and there were all those problems in Texas and and here. And, you know, Lynn Rogers was part of the was a big part of the debate about how to help municipalities and like school districts manage those energy costs. So it's it's something that's, you know, 
if you're an ambitious politician and want a stepping stone, this is an office you can use. If you're an ambitious politician who wants to do state treasurer stuff, and are and there are things you can do, and that's why people won't want to run for the race, want to run for the run for the office. Well, I, I was going to quickly note that both Lynn Jenkins and Jake LaTurner have used it to parlay their uh, political brand built as state treasurer into uh, into and Congress. Congress and Ron Estes too. And Ron Estes, and yes. Ron Estes, Joan Finney was treasurer and then governor. Tim Schallenberger was a was treasurer and then he ran for governor in two thousand. And that didn't go so hot. But well. But so the two Republicans running for the primary to challenge Lynn Rogers are State Senator Karen Tyson, mm-hmm. uh, who has also had a run for Congress. So she yeah. might fall in that more ambitious uh, category that you described, John. Uh, and then we have State Representative uh, Steve Johnson. Who speaks Two languages, English and actuary. <laughs> I mean, he, he is, and he is, I think, falls in that second category where he is very passionate about pensions and things that Steve, you Steven, and I do not understand. <laughs> Stephen Johnson has, in his tenure in the legislature, has been very involved in pension legislation. With um, Which, I mean, there has been a lot to do in the time that he's been in the legislature, yeah. too kind of pair back uh, and and so that's that's going to be an interesting race because it's it is going to be about what do on the republican side it's going to be what do republican voters want and to be fair to tyson she's i think an it specialist and talks a lot about technology and processes and stuff like that so it's not like she's going to ignore the business of the treasurer's office and and she's been the chair of the senate tax committee so she's been in a prominent position for getting legislation passed and negotiating with other lawmakers Mm -hmm. and in a place where she could make a name for herself within the legislature yeah well and I don't want to. I don't want to rush our discussion of the Secretary of State's race, but um, I think we. I think there's so much going on in that one. We could have a whole episode it, dedicated yeah. to and, it. And there really hasn't been as much development in that race no. as there has been in some of these other ones. Well, and the the quick and dirty of it all, incumbent Secretary of State Scott Schwab, who has been very clear, there is no evidence of election security issues in Kansas. There is no evidence that there were any widespread issues in the 2020 election in Kansas. Uh, he's seeking another term. He's former House Speaker pro tem, uh, formerly served in the Kansas House, and I don't think anyone would call him a moderate. But uh, he is drawing a primary challenge from a very conservative former Johnson County commissioner who is going across the state. Uh, I think he's been to all 105 counties at this point and is really banging the drum on you know election security is an issue. We need to ban ballot drop boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, grace period for mail ballots. We need to audit everything up and down to make sure procedures and equipment are all secure. He is promoting like the Dinesh D'Souza movie 2000 Mules, which has baseless claims of widespread fraud in, in Michigan and, and Georgia and elsewhere in the 2020 presidential election. So it 
it really kind of is a microcosm for where the state and really much of the country is on election issues and and it's, it's the, kind it's, of fascinating it's it is kind of fascinating it is the struggle within the republican party in a red state um because donald trump won kansas by lots 15 15 points, percentage points, points i think 15 16 percentage points and um and he got almost 90 percent of the vote in some counties yeah yeah um and so you know scott schwab said a little earlier this year basic he said you know if the the former president's people think there was a problem in Kansas. They know they can call me. I'll pick up the phone. They have my number, and they haven't called because they know there isn't there hasn't been a problem here. Um, and and so you know that that's the kind of uh, comment that that Mr. Brown is really really attacking. And and I think the. For some context on this primary, you know, Scott Schwab is a conservative Republican, but uh, people widely agree that he has run the office in a competent manner. Yeah, and even you know, he's getting even some praise from Democrats. And, and you know, it, it really wouldn't if Scott Schwab were to win the primary, it probably wouldn't be that competitive of a race in November. But you know, if Mike Brown were to win, uh, the Democrat in the race, Gianna Repass, might have a chance. Well, and this is an office that Democrats in Kansas almost never win. Um, I think the last time they won an election might have been 19... I think it was 1948. I'll have to go look. But the Democratic candidate... And the Republican candidate had the same last name, Ryan. And so the, you know, the who knows? Nobody went out and interviewed all the voters, but there was a theory that voters just got confused and ended up electing the Democrat by mistake. I think uh, Ron Estes had that uh, a couple of years back. Yes. And and so, you know, there there was an appointed secretary of state when a multiple-term Republican, Ron Thornburg, stepped down, I think, in 2009, and then a Democrat was appointed to fill the vacancy. That was Chris Biggs, but he lost to Kobach in 2010. And and so this is an office that generally Republicans win without much trouble. So that, that will be interesting to see. Again, it's going to be, you know, we, we have seen – a lot of places where folks who are backing these these kind of conspiracy theories, these unfounded allegations about fraud, we see them doing very well in Republican primaries, but it, in other places, not as much. Like, for example, Georgia. And that was a surprise. Jody Heiss was, I think, expected by many people to defeat the incumbent whose name I'm... Raffens- Brad Raffensperger, I think, okay. yes. And he... he, he uh, famously stood up to Trump um, and defended the outcome of the Georgia elections and the certification of those elections. And it was it was one of those moments where you saw, you know, an elected official withstanding pressure from within his own party and and saying, no, the results were legitimate and we're going to stick with them. Well, and... Just one more quick point on this, unless Jason has anything he wants to add. But, you know, it, it gets kind of the interesting 
problem in states where Republicans are administering the elections and Republicans are winning the races. Because if you go back and say the 20, there are issues in the 2020 election, well, some of the elected officials making those cases won elections in 2020 in well, Kansas. And, that, and that's a point that Scott Schwab has made. He said, you know, these folks are welcome to contest their own elections. I, I think, you know, some of the, you know, some of the arguments come down to, well, look at how many votes were recorded for Biden, for example, in Johnson County. Well, it was a high turnout election. Uh, I mean, Donald Trump got more votes than any presidential candidate raw votes in American history, except one guy. And that was the guy who beat him, Joe Biden. It was a very high turnout election. Going to be interesting to see how our 2020 election plays out. Yeah. 2022. Oh, God. Oh, well, time for me. I think time for me to go home. Yeah. Put me out to pasture. Or to stop relitigating two years ago. (laughs) Well, you know, that that is actually a big issue in some Republican primaries. You know, again, Brad Kemp, the governor of Georgia, who really had a very big win over David Perdue, the former U.S. senator from there, you know, he, he said... I, you know, basically was saying I have no problem with Donald Trump, but he also made it clear that he wants to look forward and not back. And that's a big issue in Republican circles. Do you relitigate 2020 or do you, you know, move on? Well, at the Topeka Capital Journal, our state house and election coverage is omniscient and we can look forward and backward in our in-depth stories on uh, all things state politics and state government. If you would like to follow, is omniscient the right word? I'm I'm thinking. I'm uh, uh, omnipresent. And we're not omnipotent. Ubiquitous. <laughs> not, um, um, you're right, not omnipotent. Ubiquitous. Uh, all of, yeah, okay. Well, we're going to think on this, and maybe next week we'll put our minds together and uh, get our thesauruses out. But in the meantime, if you want to read the Capital Journal's coverage, you can go to cjonline.com, like us on Facebook, or find us on Twitter, at cjonline. Jason, if they want to find you on Twitter, at Jason underscore Tid. And I am at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And John, if they want to find your work. Well, I'm at APJD Hannah on Twitter. And then uh, www.apnews.com backslash. We're doing the hand movement again. Uh, Kansas with a capital K. And if you want to listen to back episodes of this podcast, you can follow us anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, that is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or we uh, try and remember to post them to cjonline.com, although I have slacked a little on the last couple of times. So. Well, and if you're taking an especially long trip, you should listen to back episodes. <laughs> you should, although I'd, the political environment of almost two years ago now, maybe... Yes, but, but you we'll can, feel a little speaking different. of relitigating or, or you know, thinking about the past, you can go back you know, to the beginning and just kind of reminisce about how things were. I like that. That's smooth. We should have you host one of these because you do a better job than I do. Uh, Jason. Andrew. John. John. Andrew. Jason. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's always a pleasure. 
Jason, thanks for putting up with me and coming on. Even Listeners, though it, it, thanks for listening. It's kind of in your job description that you have to. Uh, yes, listeners, thank you as always. And we will see you all back here next week. Same time, same place. Have a good one, y'all. Thank you.